serious charges in a random stabbing. 34-year-old Lindsay Scott was arrested Sunday night. The troubled young woman now accused of murder, plus more downtown chaos with a senior hit with bear spray. Compelling evidence at the Jake for Tenon trial. How you feeling today? Feel good. Feel good. The former Canucks defense strategy as his accuser is cross-examined. And reviving the Vancouver special. Permits quicker than you normally would. They can be built quicker. Why one city councillor is pushing a modernized version of the ubiquitous cookie-cutter homes. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A Vancouver woman who has now been charged in a deadly random stabbing in Yaletown last Monday is also charged with another assault earlier in the day. Kamal Karamali has the latest on the victim and what we're learning about the troubled past of the accused. Police know very little about 29-year-old Justin Mormon, including why he was on the corner of Smythe and Homer Streets on the morning of July 11th when he was stabbed to death. Now, after a week-long investigation, police arrested 34-year-old Lindsay Scott Sunday night, charged with second-degree murder. We have found no evidence to suggest that the victim and the accused knew each other. In fact, we believe they were strangers. Court documents indicate the accused, Lindsay Scott, was also involved in another altercation that same morning, just minutes before the fatal stabbing. She was arrested and charged for the attack that same day and released on bail Friday. On Sunday, she was re-arrested and charged with second-degree murder. Sources tell Global News the assault victim was a pregnant woman, and Scott is now being investigated for other stranger attacks that took place in the same area that morning. Global News spoke to Scott's family who says she'd been struggling with mental health issues for years, calling her a sweet and kind girl before the mental health problems took hold. We are seeing um, more cases, both statistically and anecdotally, of cases that uh, appear to be random and unprovoked in nature. Vancouver police analyzed data from 44 recent cases of stranger attacks. Of those, 73% had mental health as a contributing factor. More than half involved a suspect that had been previously apprehended under the Mental Health Act. More than three quarters of suspects were charged in a previous criminal incident, and 60% of suspects in these stranger attacks had been previously charged with violent crimes. We're making arrests, too. Um, we're getting convictions. VPD say they've taken steps to try and prevent stranger attacks, like targeted patrols. But with the unprovoked assaults continuing to happen, many are left wondering and worried who might be next. Kamal Karamali, Global News. There is yet another innocent victim of violence at the new tent city along Hastings Street on Vancouver's downtown east side. As Jasmine Ballow reports, an elderly woman was trying to negotiate the many sidewalk obstacles when she ended up with a face full of bear spray. So she came to our neighborhood and now she needs medical attention. A woman in her 80s, surrounded by police officers and Vancouver Fire and Rescue Services. She was caught in the crossfire of uh, a fight in which two men um, uh, were involved. She had been walking down East Hastings Street in the curb lane, unable to use the sidewalk blocked by tents and debris. 
One of the two men was standing on the sidewalk. Uh, the other was standing um, on the other side of the woman. Bear spray was deployed. She was caught in the crossfire of that bear spray and she was contaminated by it. Oh my God, somebody maced a old lady. They're putting, oh my God. Vancouver police were in the neighborhood. They were flagged over and helped decontaminate her eyes. The suspect was arrested, but no charges have been laid at this point. Um, obviously, a uh, very concerning, troubling incident um, for an elderly person in, a, in, in this neighborhood who is uh, just minding her own business and doing absolutely nothing wrong. Even more concerning, this is the second incident in front of this apartment building between Carroll and Columbia Streets in just one week. I think that we thought there would be another incident. Last Tuesday, a 62-year-old man who uses a wheelchair was stabbed right outside of the same building. Uh, that was my neighbor um, yeah. who was stabbed twice and all he was doing was trying to get um, through the crowd on the sidewalk. So I think that people are really feeling quite exasperated. It's been nearly three weeks since police stopped accompanying city workers in daily patrols to remove garbage and structures. Since then, the presence of tents appears to have increased. As for what the city is doing to address it, Vancouver's Deputy General Manager of Engineering says... Last week, the city deployed additional waste bins to East Hastings to collect debris and will provide litter and waste collection tools to community stewards and organizations. The city's engineering services staff will also be conducting sidewalk cleaning and will work with community groups and those experiencing homelessness to enable this work. But right now, no answers on exactly when this work will begin. Jasmbala, Global News. North Vancouver RCMP are warning the public about a fake cop who tried to get money during a fraudulent traffic stop. Police say the man pulled over a driver on East 13th near Moody Avenue and accused the driver of using his GPS on his cell phone. The imposter then produced a debit credit card machine and demanded the driver pay for the violation right there. Sensing something wasn't right, the driver pulled away and called police. Police say the suspect was driving a navy or dark gray Chevrolet Tahoe with flashing red and blue lights on the dashboard. He's described as Caucasian, 25 to 30 years old, about 5'9 with an average build. He has a slight goatee and was wearing a black crew neck t-shirt and navy cargo pants and a vest and hat that had the word police written on them in white letters. The sexual assault trial of former Vancouver Canuck Jake Vertanen continues today. And a warning, our coverage might not be suitable for all members of the audience. His accuser was on the stand for a second day in a row and was cross-examined by the defense. Sarah McDonald reports on the evidence presented in court, including a video that paints an unflattering picture of when Vertanen first met the young woman. How are you feeling today? Feel good. The Jake Vertanen, who confidently entered B.C. Supreme Court on Tuesday, on day two of his sexual assault trial, was in stark contrast to a less flattering side of the then-NHL star, shown to the jury. Jake, you like Jamal Watson's? Cell phone footage of Vertanen recorded at the Calgary Stampede in 2017, where he and his accuser first met, shows him intoxicated to the point of vomiting, and according to his own counsel, urinating on himself that same night. (laughs) 
The evidence appears to play into a defense strategy. Vertanen's lawyer, Brock Martland, calling his own client, quote, disgusting when referencing the video shown in court on Tuesday, questioning how his client's accuser, who testified the pair kissed and exchanged numbers the following morning, could have found anything about his client attractive other than his money. Is that you holding the silver bowl he's being sick in? Martland asked. Yes, the complainant responded. Why would you do that? I was trying to be nice. Did you think he had peed himself that night in addition to vomiting, asked defense? Yes, it looked that way. His pants were wet. I'm going to suggest to you, though, that you know he's an NHL player and that you're getting close to him, indeed in that video, getting close to him because you are interested in him. No, responded the complainant. You know NHL players make significant incomes, defense asked. I don't know what NHL players make, countered the complainant. Vertanen, now 25, is charged with one count of sexual assault in connection to an encounter the pair would have months later. Nobody disputes the accused and his accuser spent the night together at this Vancouver hotel in September. The question is, was there consent for any sexual intercourse that allegedly occurred? The jury of eight men and four women shown correspondence between the pair after that first meeting and before their final encounter. Defense suggesting the private messages were flirtatious. The complainant maintaining she had no intention of having any sexual interaction with the then forward for the Vancouver Canucks. The accuser testifying she spoke with the Canucks organization in 2021 as part of its internal investigation into the allegations. Vertanen was put on leave, then placed on waivers by the team before his contract was ultimately bought out. In its questioning of the complainant on Tuesday, defense repeatedly attempted to cast doubt on her memory and recall, including the color of the Dodge Charger Vertanen was driving the night of the encounter and the layout of the hotel room where it allegedly occurred. The trial and the cross-examination are set to continue on Wednesday. Sarah McDonald, Global News. A major chapter has come to a close in the trial of a Dutch man accused of harassing and extorting BC teen Amanda Todd before she took her own life a decade ago. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the Crown has now completed its case. It appears the trial of Dutch national Aidan Coban is coming to a close. This afternoon, Crown informed the jury that it has no more witnesses to call. It's expected closing arguments can begin early next week. The trial has lasted for more than a month as the jury has heard evidence about the near-constant online abuse suffered by Amanda Todd at the hands of multiple social media accounts. Crown has alleged Coban behind many of those accounts. The jury has also heard details of a Dutch investigation that tracked Coban for months before he was finally arrested in 2013. Dutch authorities seizing numerous hard drives in the residence where he was arrested. Defense has argued from the beginning there's no direct evidence linking Coban to the extortion. Coban is not charged in the death of Todd, who took her own life in 2012. He is charged with five counts, including possession of child pornography, criminal harassment, extortion, and communication with a minor to commit a sexual offense. The jury is being recalled next Tuesday for the final phase of this trial to conclude. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The Vancouver Park Board is expected to resume discussions on the controversial Stanley Park bike lane tonight after an acrimonious meeting was cut short last night. Krista Dow is live with more on this. And 
Krista, last night's meeting ended abruptly with only three of 44 members of the public able to speak on the issue. They'll get another chance tonight. Yeah, Chris, last night it was quite the chaotic meeting and the decision to end that meeting early was due to safety. Now, board chair Chris Dumont says some staff members felt threatened and didn't feel safe with the energy in the room. Now, there was, there were comments attacking staff in regards to ideology in the statement we were just hearing. That's outside, sir, please. As a result, we are going to uh, recess, adjourn for tonight. That was just a sampling of what happened last night. That's Chair Camille Dumont exchanging words with a member of the public, Philip Rankin, who was speaking out against the board adopting the Stanley Park Mobility Report, a study that looks at ways of reducing vehicles in the park. Rankin accused staff of being motivated by their ideologies, and after several back and forth and a short recess, a decision was made to end that meeting. Now, tonight, though, only one speaker is allowed inside at a time, and more seats will be added in the lobby area to accommodate more people. We spoke to Rankin earlier about his comments, and he still stands by them. And when I said that I thought the board was already, in other words, they predetermined the outcome. They don't, they want to cut cars before the study is done. They've closed the park to cars for the last two years. Uh, that, that they were ideological, and so was their staff ideological. As soon as I said staff is ideological, which is true, they've had a freak out and said I had threatened them in some way. Well, that isn't the threat. As for Rankin, he is banned from attending tonight's meeting, but says he will still attend, but not sure if he'll be able to get through these doors as there are extra security and park rangers on site to keep the peace. So we'll see if these changes will be enough to allow the more than 40 speakers to have their say again tonight. Chris. Let's hope everybody keeps their cool. Thanks very much. That's Chris Dow reporting from Stanley Park. David Eby makes it official why the high-profile NDP attorney general says he's ready to be premier when John Horgan steps down. That's next on the News Hour. I'm on the street now, basically. Cowichan Valley residents fight back after being forced out of their homes later on the News Hour. And what happened in Vancouver's tropical paradise that caused it to close indefinitely? That's still to come tonight. Right now, though, B.C. Attorney General David Eby has officially announced he is running for leader of the B.C. NDP. Yeah, it happened just about a minute ago. So far, he is the only one throwing his hat in the ring. Richard Zussman joins us now uh, with more. This, of course, Richard, comes after a long list of cabinet, cabinet ministers announced they would not be seeking uh, the leadership position. Many of those ministers are here, Sophie, endorsing David Eby, who's on the stage right now. And back in 2018, Vancouver Magazine declared David Eby the most powerful person in Vancouver. Now he wants to be the most powerful person in British Columbia. Taking a shot at the top job. I think I can deliver the stability and the consistency of government in a really uncertain time for our province. David Eby, the first person to show interest in replacing Premier John Horgan, 
promising to fulfill many of Horgan's commitments, but with his own touch. If I'm successful, shouldn't expect a lot of radical changes from what John was doing. Um, but I definitely see some opportunities for us to respond to needs in fast-growing communities, around housing, around essential infrastructure, around rewarding those cities that are approving the housing that we need. As Attorney General since 2017, EB has led the overhaul at ICBC, launched a public inquiry into money laundering, and most recently has been leading the charge on the housing file. His path to the leadership now clear. All the potential challengers from within his cabinet have bowed out of the race, and 48 NDP MLAs are supporting him. It's a Democratic Party. If someone uh, can get the signatures and the entry fee, they can run. Uh, and so my team's preparing for a race. The party was supposed to start voting on a new leader in November. But if by the final cutoff date, October 4th, there are no other candidates, the party could choose to end the race and name EB leader. This would mean he could be premier by the end of October or early November. An EB coronation could be seen two ways. A party united behind a new voice or a party allowing backroom conversations to dictate the province's premier. I think it's, it's, it's good for the party to be able to demonstrate that unity right from the start, uh, but it's also probably bad for the party not to go through a little bit of that. I think there's a cathartic element to uh, to a party sort of airing some of that laundry, making it clear, uh, because I think it just builds up resentment. It's a huge support of his colleagues here at this event tonight. Katrina Chen and Ravi Kalon, two ministers, have been named as campaign co-chairs. As for the attorney general job, he must now step down. The expectation is that Murray Rankin will take over as the attorney general, but Premier John Horgan will have to make that official at some point soon. Back to you guys. All right, thanks for that, Richard. All right, we're going to bring in Keith Baldry now to talk about the challenges EB will face if he goes on to become mm -hmm. premier. Keith, what's the big one? Yeah, you know, he, he's got a balancing act here. On the one hand, he wants to make his mark on this government. It's going to be his government, John Horgan. On the other hand, there's not a lot of need for change. This is a, a government that's still fairly popular, won a decisive election in 2020. So he doesn't want to make too many changes, but he will make some. So here's some of the challenges and questions he's going to be facing. First of all, what does he do with his cabinet? Who does he promote? Who does he demote in cabinet? Uh, for me, keep an eye on two rookie MLAs, Nikki Sharma in Vancouver Hastings, Michael Starchuk in Surrey. I think they're going to get in. In. Other question, will he keep Selena Robinson in as finance minister? It's well documented and known. There are some significant differences in viewpoints between these two ministers. My bet is he will keep Robinson because we're going to be in the middle of a budget process. And also, will he call an early election before the scheduled one in fall 2024? The more I talk to senior people in government, the more I get the impression he's going to be under pressure to call an early election than fall 2024. Perhaps not the spring of 2023, but certainly the fall of 2023 or the spring of 2024, I think are likely election windows. I'm not sure he wants to go two years full without receiving a new mandate from BC voters, but it's got some interesting challenges ahead of him in the weeks and months ahead. He certainly does. We know you're there to cover them all. Thanks very much, Keith. Coming up, making Vancouver special again. Inspired by those cheap and cheerful homes built en masse in the 60s and 70s, the city councillor who wants to steal the idea now. And later, inspiring support for a BC climber injured in a bad fall. 
Good evening and some good news out here in Langley on Highway 1 westbound. This crash just before 264th was in the left lane. Now it's off to the left shoulder and all lanes are open. The damage is done though. Traffic is backed up to about McCallum on the approach. Steer into summer is on now. Take this Take on the season like a pro with the powerful new 2022 Sierra 1500. Visit your local Vancouver GMC dealer to reserve yours today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One above Highway 1 and 264th in Langley. Well, love them or hate them, Vancouver specials are an integral part of our urban landscape. Cookie cutter homes built by the thousands in the 60s, 70s and 80s and now they could be getting a modern makeover. Vancouver City Councillor Michael Weeb is bringing forward an idea to cut through red tape to get more houses built and more families in them. Imanagahi explains. We've built tons of them for 20 years and it's crazy is in Metro Vancouver is the only region that actually has the Vancouver Special which we see everywhere. They're found on just about every street and neighborhood in East and South Vancouver. With its specific and very recognizable architecture, the Vancouver Special is a time capsule of sorts, paying homage to a previous generation of Vancouverites. Particularly Sikhs from the Punjab, Italians, Greeks and others. You could build this Vancouver Special and bang, you were into the middle class. Former city councillor for six terms and retired urban planner Gordon Price remembers them well. Comes down to the same thing. What's the maximum density I can build on the site in the simplest way to do it? to get the most affordable price. Estimates are up to 10,000 Vancouver specials were built between 1965 and 85. And according to one Vancouver city councillor, there's something about these homes that could at least provide one solution to some of Vancouver's um, current housing and affordability problems. The goal here is let's change the way we do City Hall to make it easier to build. But we want a repeatable housing form, so a form that we can continue to replicate which makes it easier to go through planning, easier to get laborers for, easier to get built, and we can do it modular and green. This week, Weeb will ask for councillors to support a city study into bringing back the Vancouver Special, but in different form. It won't just be one type of form. We're going to hopefully have a catalogue of different ones. They will not be well treated or received in some neighbourhoods. In their heyday, the old Vancouver Specials were being permitted in two to three days and built in two to three months. But despite their success, a 1980 city study found they quickly became unappealing. If you give a, an incentive for a particular form of development, you will definitely get a lot of it. In which case then people are going to see what looks like very plain boxy houses one way or the other. And that's where the pendulum will swing. But in the current housing crunch, Weep says the city needs to explore every option available. Emadagahi, Global News. Well, a number of people living in a Vancouver Island RV park say they're being forced out by the new owner. As Kylie Stanton shows us, the longtime residents, many on fixed incomes, say their fees have more than doubled and they're left with no options. It's just the best place to live. Just meters from the riverbank, surrounded by nature. This is where Carolyn Lawson has called home. For the past five years. 36 and a half foot fifth wheel. The price has always remained the same. $16 a night to park her RV with access to electricity and water. It's $496 a month to live here and that has never changed since the day I moved in. But as of August 1st, that will more than double. No warning, no written notice. It was just 1200 
or you'll have to leave. Riverside RV and Campground was recently taken over by new owners. They informed Lawson and 14 others who occupy these sites along the Cowichan River of the price hike with only a few weeks notice. It's just stressful. Everybody up here, they're scared. Nobody even comes out. The owners could not be reached for comment and the manager here declined. Despite having mailboxes attached to the addresses, no one here has a tenancy agreement, something that would provide them with protection, leaving many with little choice but to pack up and move on. The question now is where do they go? I'm on the street now, basically. I'll be living in my motorhome. It's a reflection of the housing crisis right across the region forcing Duncan City Council and the District of North Cowichan to look at solutions that would better accommodate people living in their RVs. One of the options may well be that we allow more of this kind of camping on that kind of semi-private, semi-public property like church parking lots. Even if changes are made, they will be months, if not years away, and of no help to those here. In the meantime, anyone caught camping overnight in undesignated areas could face a $1,000 fine. I knew I wouldn't be able to stay here forever, but... Lawson will have to take her chances. She plans to store her unit on a friend's property and live out of her truck and camper. Knowing this location is likely the first of many, she'll be forced to leave. And I don't deserve that. I worked hard all my life. I don't deserve that. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Still ahead, climbing back from disaster... Once he could start talking a little bit, he said he couldn't feel his legs right away. An Okanagan outdoor enthusiast finds out how many friends he has after being critically injured in a fall. And a milestone for Saanich Bank employees trying to recover from a traumatic robbery and shootout. Good evening. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Golden Ears Bridge, which is some minor delays northbound towards the north end. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Golden Ears Bridge. The discovery of a gun along a street in Surrey prompted RCMP to shut down the block for a time today. The handgun was found on the roadway near 78A Avenue and 134th Street. RCMP aren't saying yet whether it might be connected to a recent crime. Residents say it's a normally quiet family neighborhood. It has been three weeks since the violent bank robbery and shootout rocked a Saanich community. And today, the bank where it happened reopened. This is the BMO on Shelburne Street, opening its doors today at 10 a.m. An email to branch members says most of the last three weeks has been spent cleaning up the bank. On June 28th, six police officers were shot in a gun battle with two robbery suspects who were later identified as 22-year-old twin brothers from Cowichan Lake. The brothers died at the scene. The investigation is ongoing, but the brothers' motive remains unknown. The Williams Lake First Nation is calling for a public inquiry into the RCMP's handling of a distress call two weekends ago that ended in a man's death. The man's family initially contacted police about concerns they had about the man's mental state and the potential for self-harm. The Williams Lake First Nation says when RCMP sent in an emergency response team with automatic weapons and tear gas for a wellness check rather than a counselor, the man took his own life. Really, we look at the statistics across Indian country and you know the consistent theme is that 
you know, there is discrimination against indigenous peoples and, you know, Rojan's legacy, we want to see change. And if that's what sparks from his, you know, death, then, I mean, that will be a success. The IIO, Independent Investigations Office, is investigating, but the Williams Lake First Nation says it's extremely disappointed with how police interactions with indigenous people often result in tragedies like this. It feels an inquiry will help address systemic failures. The family of a man who was rescued from Skaha Bluffs earlier this month says the climber has a long road of rehabilitation and recovery ahead. Global's Taya Fast has more on what happened and what his family says will get him through the challenges to come. Once he could start talking a little bit, he said he couldn't feel his legs right away. Penticton resident Hoor Jensen was rock climbing at Skaha Bluffs Provincial Park earlier this month when he plummeted 40 feet in the fall, leaving him paralyzed. His, his uh, spine was virtually sheared. I've looked at the MRIs and it's pretty horrific. So, you know, it's it's very significant injury. Um, he's got about four broken ribs, three or four broken ribs. Mark Carrier was one of the climbers in Ward's group that day and was with him at the time of the accident. It was all within a second, just as I started to scream at him to stop, he had the realization that uh, he had come to the end and was slipping through, so he made a desperate grab to, to grab both ends of the rope above his belay device and unfortunately you know you can't hold on to it. Penticton Search and Rescue's long line helicopter team was called in to help due to the complex terrain and limited access to the area. They were calling the helicopter so a helicopter was uh, buzzing around but the valley was too tight to get him out so they had to haul him out. Ward was flown to Kelowna General Hospital and then eventually to Vancouver where he's been ever since. According to family and friends, Ward was an avid climber and enjoyed being outdoors. One funny thing about Ward is uh, he literally knows so much of the guidebook in his head. Like he doesn't have to haul the guidebook around. He, he knows that area so well. So yeah, he's very, very competent. Uh, and confident climate. Brett, who lives in Australia, launched a GoFundMe page shortly after the accident to support his brother's recovery. But I think even more important to setting it up is it's given him a really good appreciation of how many people um, appreciated him and how many friends he's got. Although Ward has a long road to recovery ahead of him, Brett says he is staying positive. As bad as the situation is, um, you know, his attitude, I think, is going to serve him very well. And, and, you know, he's excited about things he can do. As of Tuesday afternoon, over $10,000 had been raised. And in an update last week, Ward and his wife thanked everyone who had contributed so far. TFS Global News, Penticton. The provincial government has announced a push to train and recruit more allied health professionals. Health Minister Adrian Dix and Advanced Education and Skills Training Minister Ann Kang made the announcement this morning. The province is adding as many as 322 more seats to public post-secondary institutions throughout B.C. to train more health care workers. The list of allied health professionals programs includes medical laboratory assistants, paramedics, and respiratory therapists, among many others. We know that these allied healthcare professionals are in high demand, and that we are responding to that demand by ensuring that people in our province get better healthcare access. Today, we are making investments by significantly increasing the number of people that we are training. 
Some of the seats will be added at post-secondary schools this year, with the majority being added by fall of next year. Just ahead, Wimbledon West. We get visitors who come have never been here before. They're just in awe. The best kept secret in BC tennis in play since 1887. And why they had to break out the chainsaws inside the Bloedel Conservatory. The city of Vernon is testing some new technology that can detect wildfires before they spread. The city has signed on to a new pilot project by UBC, an environmental startup, SenseNet, that will see dozens of sensors installed, up to 100 sensors, collecting data in real time about environmental conditions. An algorithm processes that data to look for any anomalies that might indicate fire. The technology has previously been tested in Vancouver and Williams Lake, and Vernon was chosen as the next site for its different climate. The system is very unique because it's not rely on the smog or very large heat signature. We can detect the fire even when there is no smoke or no flame in the smoldering phases because they, they, the fire generates some gases. We can detect the fire in that stages. Vernon's fire chief says he's hoping the sensors will pick up wildfire activity in some of the more remote areas of the city to allow crews to put out fires faster. The pilot project will start next month and will last for two years. Of course, you're always hoping they never need it. And Mm -hmm. so far, uh, things seem to be at least a little bit better than the last few years on the fire front. Let's check in with Christy for an update now on that and the forecast. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, you're exactly right. So it's really important to to let everyone know. I mean, we're doing really well in the forest fire situation right now, and I'll show you the numbers in just a second. But uh, we're in that scenario now where we're not getting a lot of rain, although it's been a little unsettled. We're really not getting a ton of rain. So the fuels are now starting to dry out. So it's really important. Everyone's diligent when they're enjoying the great outdoors and make sure that we're not igniting any fires that we don't need to. Here's a look at the numbers. So currently we have 23 fires burning across the province. We would have had three times or more than that uh, in the past several years. Uh, The Caribou region, for example, has no fires right now, and we only have one fire of note, so we're really in a good situation. Uh, Let's move on, and I show you, though, we don't have any significant rain in the forecast, at least for the next 24 hours, and it looks like we'll continue with that trend for the next four to five days, potentially. Now, when we look at the Metro Vancouver forecast, you'll see that we'll warm up to highs of about 24 to 28 degrees tomorrow afternoon, so a hot one on the way, and then when we look at the uh, Vancouver Island region, we will see a bit of cloud cover across the outer coast. Uh, We'll see that fog through the morning hours, but it should pull away from the coast in the afternoon. So uh, generally speaking, other than that fog across the south coast, we're going to see mainly sunny skies. So uh, terrific conditions in the interior, low 30s for our region, a hot one tomorrow. It is going to stay a little bit above seasonal for this time of year over the next few days. Uh, Looking at the five-day forecast, no significant rain, and that's why I gave you that little heads up in terms of the forest fires. Uh, that's the case across many parts of the province. All right, tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Soyuz. Greg really capturing this photo from last night where we had a little bit of a moderate uh, aurora activity. I had a look and it doesn't look like we're going to have any activity tonight, which is too bad because the skies will be clear. It would be perfect for seeing it. All right, guys, back to you. So vibrant. Thank you very much, Christy. Well, the exotic birds in the Bloedel Conservatory had a rude awakening this morning when a tree came crashing down inside. 
all of the birds are accounted for, but some plants were damaged in the fall. Nobody knows why the strangler fig came down, but crews on scene say it was a large tree. If you've been there, it's the one that's nearly as tall as the dome ceiling. Employees say a tree falling down like this has never happened in the conservatory before. Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely a first time. Definitely a first time. The conservatory is closed until further notice while crews work to clean up the fallen tree. All right, Squire is here now with a look ahead to sports. What do you got, Squire? If a tree falls in the conservatory, does anybody hear? <laughs> I'm sure the birds Unless you're a bird, yes. <laughs> I knew you'd go there. All right. Uh, new Whitecap, Julian Gressel said just before he got traded to Vancouver, his wife was telling him she would like to do more hiking. Now, yesterday, I said to her, this is like the perfect, perfect spot for that. Not only will she have lots of places to hike, Gressel should have lots of players to pass to. He is one of the best passers in Major League Soccer, and he's now a Whitecap. Also tonight, the BC Tennis Court, that's a cut above the rest. Canucks, Canucks, Whitecaps, Whitecaps. Rolled, out, rolled out the welcome wagon today. When the Canucks do, it'll be a big deal, too. Yeah. People have been waiting for the Canucks to make a move all quiet on the Canuck front. But the Whitecaps made a move last week, and it was a big one, and now this guy is in town. Julian Gressel is someone who probably isn't a household name, unless, of course, your house has somebody who works in the MLS living in it, because he is well-known around Major League Soccer. Gressel is one of the best setup men in the business, an expert at dishing out dimes with a soccer ball, passing into scoring areas. In fact, in the last five years, he's second in assists in MLS. So this is a guy who's been brought in by the Whitecaps specifically to help the offense, which is one of the lowest scoring in the league right now. Got the guy that is the best wingback in this league. He should become a face of this franchise. He will be an important piece on and off the pitch, and uh, I... Uh, as soon as we have convinced him how nice British Columbia is, I think we can speak about a five-year deal. Drive, get nice and low. Axel Schuster won't say when he first tried to acquire Julian Gressel, but the admiration for the talented wingback is clearly evident. So too for his immediate and hopefully future worth to the Caps. I'm excited to be here um, and, and, and yeah, really, really appreciate um, this club believing in me and um, looking forward to to contributing and, 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 and staying, you know, uh, a, a, good, a good player in this league and being a really good, good, yeah, good player for this club uh, moving forward. He's a dynamic player, he's an aggressive player, he wins uh, 1v1 battle. Uh, I hope and I think that uh, he will be a big piece on the, for the team in order for him also to, to, to shine again and being, and being one of the very important players in this league. So... I'm going, to th I'm going to teach you also a little bit of Italian. Benvenuto, Julian. <laughs> Andiamo. <laughs> Gressel's expected to make his Caps debut on Saturday when Vancouver hosts Chicago. This is a player who knows his impact on the pitch and off it. He's all about community involvement, be it hosting charity golf tournaments or helping out his favorite cause, children living with cancer. He's someone who clearly gets it. As four months ago, he decided to adopt a vegan lifestyle. I think ethically. 
I think it's simply because I don't think I need to I need to have an animal that dies so I can have my sandwich or I can have my steak. Um, you know, I think that, that that was the first thing. The second option was climate change. Rarely do you hear professional athletes speak so openly and publicly about issues near and dear to their heart. But this is who Julian Gressel is. And as for those impactful contributions on the pitch? Um, I'd rather have two assists than one goal um, because that means we scored twice, you know, as a team. That's just good math. Uh, Kaylin Sheridan last night played a huge game for Canada in its loss to the Americans, one nothing in the CONCACAF Women's Championship Final, and this was the best save of all. Right on the line, with a little help from Kadisha Buchanan as well. The only goal that would beat her came about because of this penalty call. So should this have been a penalty kick? Alicia Chapman does bump legs with Rose Lavelle. Some people thought it was soft, but they gave it to them. And the Americans, Alex Morgan, scores. So the Americans are automatically qualified for the next Olympics. Canada will have to play Jamaica September 2023 in a two-game series to qualify for the Olympics. This is Hugo Hewell. Today, he did something that no Canadian has done since Steve Bauer in 1988. That's win a stage at the Tour de France. And he dedicated this win to his brother, who 10 years ago was jogging and was killed by a drunk driver while jogging. And third in this race, the stage 16, was Michael Woods of Ottawa. So two Canadians on the podium, and here's the two embracing right here. And incidentally, Steve Bauer, the last man to win a stage for Canada, works for this team that these two Canadians are on. Let's hear from Hugo Hull afterwards. This one is for my brother, man. I had one dream, win the stage for my brother who died when I turned professional and uh, today that one is for him. I worked for 10, 12 years and today I got my win for him so it's incredible. I don't know what to say, just so happy. It is a great story. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Big win for him and a big day for Canada at the Tour de France. Yeah, very much so. All right, thank you, Squire. We'll keep the sports theme going a little bit. Why the grass is always greener in South Cowichan, and tennis players know it. Next. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. Jordan Armstrong is standing by with a preview of what's ahead on Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, tense moments in West Kelowna this afternoon when flames spread to a hillside near Highway 97. An RV caught fire just after four today with the flames also scorching about three hectares of hillside near the lake. The fire has been knocked down, but crews are watching for hot spots. And speaking of watching, we are monitoring tonight's Vancouver Park Board meeting, so you don't have to. I'm told they are currently arguing over something to do with Twitter. Could be a long night. Huh. Will anything be achieved? Find out at 11. Sophie? Okay. Can I guess? <laughs> Doubtful. <laughs> Thanks, Someone. Jordan. Yeah. Yep. All right, Wimbledon is, of course, the most famous lawn tennis venue in the world. But did you know that BC has its own version? The grass courts in South Cowichan are the envy of the country. As Jada Rant shows us, it has never missed a season since 1887, earning it the nickname Wimbledon West. Mixed in with the familiar sounds of the game is one that's unique to this club in Cowichan Bay. These courts need a grounds crew. Grass has to be cut and rolled and playing surfaces lined. 
There's no other facility like this in Canada, that's seven grass courts. We kind of look at it as an oasis here in the Cowichan Valley. This has been compared to the sister club to Wimbledon. And this picture is from uh, about 1887, 1888. This club is actually only 10 years younger than Wimbledon, formed in 1887 by three families from England that were eager to continue the growing popularity of the sport in their new home. People would actually take boats over from Salt Spring Island to come over here. Um, locals would play. People come with horse and buggies. This is the 135th year the club has hosted the Vancouver Island Grass Court Championships, a tournament that has attracted participants from all over the world. We get visitors who come have never been here before. They're just in awe. There's a tremendous amount of prep work to be done in a shortened playing season that only lasts four months. But it's been a number of years since the courts have been in this great condition. You get sometimes perfect bounces and sometimes not so perfect. <laughs> and you have to adjust. The South Cowichan Lawn Tennis Club has never closed. It has survived low membership in the past, and the courts had to be rebuilt after flooding on several occasions, but matches have gone on every year since 1887. I've golfed at St. Andrews, and I know that's like sacred ground. That's how I feel about this court. A facility so rich with history, it's a provincial heritage site, which comes with a certain honor for everyone involved. A lot of people around here are very passionate. I mean, this is very unusual. Um, tennis surface uh, uh, to play on and, and we feel very privileged just keeping the legacy going. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, don't forget to email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. You are not going to want to be wearing large cotton dresses no. out in the sunshine like those people in the 1800s did. No. Nope. <laughs> it's going to be hot, isn't and, it, Christy? And playing That's tennis right. in got... them. And yeah, and playing tennis in them, exactly. No, tomorrow is definitely going to be uh, hot compared to what we've seen over the last little while. So 24 to 28 degrees is what we're expecting. But with the humidity away from the water, it'll feel closer to 31 in a lot of areas. And we'll likely hold the heat over the next few days, although not quite as hot as tomorrow. But still, we're talking about 23 to 26, 27 degrees as we head into the weekend. Find a place to cool off. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.